Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 251 for the third of Av in a leap year. So I have a theory. It's my own personal theory. I did not see this studied anywhere or researched anywhere, but take it, so take it for what you will. But I have a theory as to why it is that so many children are afraid of clowns. And even adults often find clowns to be really creepy and scary. Often there, there are countless horror movies that have clowns as their subject, the most famous of which is It by Stephen King, which is both a book and a movie all about this like really scary clown that goes around killing people. There's uh, what comes to mind for me is this horror movie I watched when I was younger called Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which was literally about these killer clowns from outer space that would go around killing people. So what is it about clowns that is so scary and particularly to children? So here's my theory is that children are going through a process where they're trying to make sense of the world around them. They're trying to figure out what the world around them means and what they can trust and who they can trust beyond their immediate caregivers. They start to, they're starting to learn that not everybody is somebody that they can trust. There's their parents, then maybe there's like their siblings, their cousins, their immediate friends, but Who can they trust and who is a dangerous person? Who is a stranger that they should stay away from? And one way that they do this is by picking up on very subtle social and emotional cues that all of us maybe take for granted and we might be processing on the subconscious level. But for children in particular, they're extremely attuned to this. They're extremely attuned to somebody who might be lying to them, who's insincere. This is why it's often said that when a person is teaching children, they need to make sure that they're really, really sincere. If they say something to the child not in a sincere way, the child will pick up on it, most likely. So when it comes to clowns, it's really interesting because if you look at the makeup that a clown wears, it's very confusing because on the one hand, the mouth looks like it's smiling, like it's a very happy mouth, it's going upwards. But then if you look at the eyes of the clown, the eyes slope downwards, which usually indicates sadness. Interestingly, in this light, a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's interesting, is that in our Western culture, then if we want to, like if we think about emojis and we want to indicate like happiness, we usually focus on the mouth. Or when we're looking, when we want to display emotions to a person, like if you're sending an emoji of a person, it's most likely going to be a smiley face, really focusing on that mouth. What's going to change, the eyes are usually the same, but the mouth is either going to slope upwards or downwards, maybe a little bit like diagonal if we want to indicate like uncertainty or something like that. However, in certain Asian cultures, I'm pretty sure in Japan, I haven't looked this up, but could be other Asian cultures as well, the way that they use emojis is very interesting is that they actually focus on the eyes. 
and they actually will just have a pair of eyes that are happy eyes or sad eyes or confused eyes or whatever it is and the focus is really on the eyes so it's an interesting cultural phenomenon right and it's interesting to, to think about that regardless of what it is that we focus on in truth what we're picking up on all the time with the people around us that we encounter is both we're picking up on these subtle social cues subtle emotional cues so for uh, so for when it comes to clowns and when it comes to children, it's very confusing because they see this person in front of them who is smiling with their mouth, but frowning with their eyes. And what this translates to them, albeit on a subconscious level, and they don't know why they're feeling this way, is that this is a person that cannot be trusted. This is somebody who is not being sincere. They're smiling with their mouth, but their eyes tell the true story that they're not happy, that they're actually sad. So something weird is going on. So why do I bring this all up, aside from it just being an interesting insight into some psychological experiences, is that this actually relates to Tanya today because we're going to be talking about these two, two opposing emotions of happiness and sadness, and can they really coexist? Can you actually have a sincere clown? Can you actually have a state of being where you are both happy and sad at the same time? And on first glance, the answer appears to be no. And this is why, again, we really look at clowns in this insincere way and we don't trust them. But in true truth, we'll actually discover that there is a way for us to actually harbor both emotions of both happiness and sadness at the same time. And we'll understand why this is. So there's actually two answers to this question that we'll bring up in today's Tanya. The first of which is that as we've learned in the earlier part of Tanya, and they say for Shilvano name, we actually are two people. We're not really just one person. And that's what gives us a lot of existential angst in our lives is we don't just have one soul. Our body actually contains two souls. We have our animal soul and we have our godly soul. And they're constantly at war with each other and their motivations are really in polar opposition to one another. Uh, obviously through a lot of work, as we've spoken about, they can kind of come to a, a place of more coherence. And that's our work in, here in the world, but in their raw form, they really are very opposed. So when we talk about these opposing emotions, what we'll learn about today is that first of all, what's happening is that each soul is experiencing its own emotion. One of the souls is happy while the other one is sad. And that's how both can coexist at the same time. And then we'll learn a deeper insight into all of it, into showing about how actually within the sadness is a sense of hope and is a sense of, of redemption and a sense of being healed from this pain. So let's get into the text. And I'm, I'm being a little abstract kind of purposefully because I'd like to kind of learn it as we go. And maybe I'll elaborate more as we get through the text. And for context, we are beginning chapter 11 of Yerasa This is the second to last chapter of Yerasa So we're nearing the end of this section of Tanya. Very exciting. So here we go. So we actually need to make mention of something that we learned in yesterday's Tanya, where we brought up this idea that there's these two contradictory, seemingly contradictory ideas that come up when it comes to prayer, where on the one hand, we're taught by the Gemara that we need to approach prayer prayer with a heavy heart, with a heavy head, like with this sense of like real humility and, uh, and a sense of like contrition, like really recognizing the lowliness of who we are. And then on the other hand, we learned that we are only supposed to pray in a state of happiness. 
And we talked about how that could possibly be. How could you be in this like lowly state and also be happy at the same time? And the way that we answered this question yesterday is that at least when it comes to people nowadays, it's really more about separating these two emotions into two distinct times. So it's like we should come to the state of humility as a form of preparation for prayer when in the past it would be more like on focus of like tikkun chatzot that would be like the evening before like in the middle of the night people would stay up and think about the destruction of the temple and their sins and all of that stuff and that would really break their heart and make them feel really low and then later then when they would approach the prayer they'd be in this like more state of happiness and we talked about how nowadays while it may not be practical for people to do tikkun chatzot and it's not really a custom that most of us at least not in the chabad world really do this is something we can adopt um once a week at least on friday on thursday nights let's say where a person can take the time to kind of have a pre-shabbos meditation and think over their week and do an accounting of their soul which most likely will humble them and bring that and bring them into that broken state and then coming into the shabbos this will bring them a sense of joy because in shabbos we all return and revert back to our our true selves together with the world that reverts back to its to its true source but today we're actually going to talk about how it's not only just about these two different times of first you're humble and then you're joyous but there's actually a way to have both of them together so the altar of it begins today and he says that truly like we talked about that this initial feeling of lowliness this initial feeling of humility well if we want to be technical about it what is this this is the aspect of chuba tata it's lower chuba as we spoke about above and then we said that in addition to this sense of humility and contrition then a person also needs to have a sense of joy in god at the same time so the altar rebbe brings us back to the Sefer Shelbeinu name in the Likutei Marim, the first part of the Tanya, at the end of chapter 34. So you can go back if you'd like and re-listen to the episode that we talked about then, back then. I didn't get a chance to look it up, but I'm sure if you kind of look through the episodes, you can hopefully figure it out. And um, and so in that in that chapter, we talked about the same idea. We talked about this idea that there are two souls, that we have the animal soul and that we have the, the godly soul. And that each one of these, when it comes to this like raw realization of who it really is, when it comes to a sense of self-awareness, it will lead to two different emotions in both things. So the animal soul, on the one hand, when the animal soul recognizes who it really is, this is going to be like, oh wow, like, the sense of bitterness the sense of humility like i can't believe how low i am i can't believe what an animal i am right and we we spent a while talking about that i remember when we were in that section of the tanya where it almost sounded like that we were being like very self-deprecating like just this like like all you are is just like an ego and a bunch of blood and bones like it's you know like you're no better than an animal like really a lot of like kind of that recognition of our animalistic nature but the godly soul when the godly soul within us recognizes its true reality which is also a part of us it will come to this state of joy in recognition that the, that it is a part of god himself a part of, and it's not separate from its source at all really in a true essential way and so now the altar of us, uh, brings a citation from the zohar this is from chapter 3 of the zohar page 75a where it talks about this idea about how it really explicitly says us that weeping is lodged in one side of a person's heart and joy is lodged in the other side of the heart. 
So, right, like we talked about this again earlier in the Tanya, about, about how the, each one of these souls is, is associated with a different part of a person's heart, how the left ventricle of the heart is the home of the animal soul, and the right ventricle of the heart is actually hollow, because the godly soul is actually housed in the brain, and it's not this, like, passionate, wild, like, subject to its emotional kind of emotions kind of thing, the way that the animal soul is. So this is why it's like the left part of the heart could feel this feeling of contrition and humility, while the right side of the heart, which is more associated with the godly soul, is feeling this sense of joy in kind of like the, the selflessness. And so that is answer number one as to how it could be that we could have these two simultaneous things. So indeed, a clown, while it might seem to us to be really uh, untrustworthy on the outside, there is uh, it, it is possible, in a sense, we can say that we are all clowns. We are all sincere clowns because we all have both. We all have a sense of feeling of of sadness over this like raw awakening, rude awakening of how far we've gone. Like kind of like what we talked about when we came to addiction, like the hitting rock bottom, like having this like, oh wow, what have I done with my life? I've wasted my life. I've slept uh, God down here into the dirt with me. Like all of that. That that's. A feeling of sadness and then on the other hand we have this godly part of ourselves this is more associated with the chuvayla the higher form of chuva which is this part of us that is really a part of god and recognizes us and wants to just be close to god and this brings them a feeling of great joy okay so that's answer number one now we're going to actually bring another answer as to how it could be that we could harbor these two emotions and we're going to focus on we're going to come from it from the place of the humility from the place of this lowly sad place because the altruist says it's not just that like a person is sad and that's it and it's just like oh wow that sucks you you sinned and you're a horrible person or whatever it's like no because joined together with this is a feeling of trust and faith that a person is being sincere and trust in god that god is kindness that god enjoys doing kindness and that what does this mean that god enjoys doing kindness that god is by nature god is a, is very merciful he's gracious and he abundantly forgives, lovely sloach in Hebrew, and that he will forgive immediately. As soon as a person asks for forgiveness from God, God will immediately forgive them. And then the Altarba brings a few sukkim to support this, a few verses, this idea. So the first one is from Tehillim, chapter 51, verse 3, where it says, which means in accordance with your abounding compassion, erase my transgression. So it's like this awareness of how compassionate God is and how that will allow God to uh, to erase our sins. Also during prayer, there's a, a phrase that we say, which is cleanse me, purify me, and erase all my sins. That's erase all my sins. So there's like this awareness of God coming in and cleansing us. So we it's, it's like we have this trust that God will forgive us. God will cleanse us. And when we say these things, when we're praying to God, we say them without any doubt at all in the world. Like we're not like saying it in a way of like, please, I hope you erase my sins. I hope you cleanse me. It's like we're saying it with certainty. We're saying that God, you will erase my sins. You will cleanse me. And this is why, continues the altar of that, we see that when we say the brachos in the Amida prayer, in the Shmonesra prayer, uh, right after we say, there's a section of the Shemunah prayer where we say, Slach lanu ki chatanu, like, forgive us, forgive us for we have sinned. And then right after that, then we say, Hashem, Blessed are you, God, who is gracious 
in that he is very abundantly forgiven. So basically what we're saying is that right after saying, like we acknowledge the fact that we sinned and we say, please God, can you forgive me for sinning? Right after that, we declare that God forgives us. We declare God is blessed be God, that he is a forgiving God. And so there's this concept in halacha, in Jewish law, that it says that it's, there's, it's called Safek Brachot Lahakel. This comes from the Gemara in Brachos page 33a, which, me, which literally means if you have a doubt as to whether you said a bracha or not, like, or if you should say a bracha or not, it's you should be lenient meaning we don't want to say excessive brachas you don't want to say a bracha of batala it's called in hebrew like a, a blessing in vain so if you're not sure let's say it's like you're eating an apple and you're like did i say a bracha on this apple or not i don't remember if you don't remember then you don't say another bracha because it's like we don't want to say god's name in vain so if this is the case how this applies to us here is that if like, like, how could it be that we say this blessing about God forgiving us and that God being this, like, abundantly forgiving God? It means that there's no doubt whatsoever. Because if there was any kind of doubt at all, that would be a bracha levatala. We would not, if we, because, because if, we're, if we're asking God to forgive us and then we're kind of, like, waiting to see if he will forgive us and we're not sure, we wouldn't say a bracha declaring that. But the fact that we do, the fact that we say, like, pardon us, forgive us. So we're saying this... We, we're asking God to forgive us and then right after that we say the bracha in which we say that God is a merciful God who forgives sins this is an acknowledgement of the fact that it's it's like with certainty we're saying he definitely because we don't want to say bracha batala so it's like he definitely will forgive us so uh, and and so this basically so coming back to our discussion about happiness and sadness this should bring a person a sense of joy so it's like within that feeling of sadness and contrite and like bitterness and acknowledgement over our sin and all that stuff there's like this little glimmer of joy because we know that ultimately god will forgive us and then the ultra bit continues and he says that this is so true this idea of god forgiving us immediately that uh that if we were not to go back and and sin again we would be immediately redeemed so it's like it's only because like at that moment when we say that bracha when we say the bracha of God being the merciful God who forgives, at that moment, we're perfect people because at that moment, God forgave us immediately. And it's like, if we didn't then go back and sin again, God would actually redeem us right then and there. So it's the forgiveness is complete. And the altar of brings a proof of this and the fact that right after that, right after the blessing about being forgiven, then we see another blessing, which it says, the blessed are you God who redeems Israel. So it's like, basically forgiveness leads to redemption if not for the fact that we go back and we sin again because we make mistakes and we're human and all of that but like in according to like just looking at the the technical aspect of it it's like god is doing his part god is forgiving us and then he will redeem us if that forgiveness if, if we don't go back and sin again and this whole idea of god immediately forgiving us the old Jarvis says it's like we can understand this even when it comes to humans like god obviously is like way more merciful way more perfect he like we can't compare it to humans but even when it comes to humans like this is how it could be maybe a little bit more relatable to us when it comes to a person of flesh and blood a, there's this law that if a person needs to forgive somebody right away when somebody asks you for forgiveness so like let's say if somebody cuts very practical to think about this let's say somebody does something wrong to you if they come up to you and uh, and ask for forgiveness you're not allowed to hold a grudge holding a grudge in judaism is a very severe thing it's not a proper thing to do you're actually supposed to 
forgive them immediately. And you should not withhold this forgiveness in a cruel way, says the Altar Rebbe. Even, this is an extreme example that comes from the Gemara in Baba Kama on page 92a, if somebody cuts off your hand, <laughs> God forbid. So if somebody cuts off a person's hand, there's a whole discussion in the Gemara as to, you know, payments and restitutions and all that stuff. And that definitely is the case. And so that's to be clear. When we talk about forgiveness, it doesn't mean that there aren't ramifications for transgressions, for sins. If somebody does something wrong to you, they still need to repay you. They still need to make restitution. However, when it comes to just like you forgiving them in their heart, in your heart, that you need to do immediately. And so the altar says this, this whole idea of the cutting off the hand, this, this incident comes up in the end of Bava, of, of, um, in the, in Bava Kama and the end of chapter eight. So then this idea of immediate forgive, forgiveness is so true to the point that if a person asks a person for forgiveness three times and the person they're asking for forgiveness from does not accept the forgiveness, they, the person who's asking for forgiveness is actually exempt and they don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore. So in other words, if, if you do something wrong to another person, you're obligated to go and ask them for forgiveness. This is like part of the tshuva process is you ask them for forgiveness. If you do this and they say, no, I'm not gonna forgive you one time, then you go back and you try again. Two times, you go back and you try again. Three times, they still don't wanna forgive you. You actually are exempt and you do not need to ask for forgiveness anymore. So it's an interesting thing to know. And again, it's just pointing at this thing about how really the proper thing to do, even for a person of flesh and blood, is to forgive. So how much more so when it comes to God, right? And we see an example of this, of this idea, now the altar is gonna bring, of a case where uh, we're asking for forgiveness numerous times at a certain point, it's like you don't, it's it's over, game over basically. So we see this from Shmuel Bet, uh, chapter 21, where there's this whole story about how David HaMelech asked the Givonim for forgiveness on behalf of Shaul who had killed their people and the Givonim did not want to forgive them. So as a result of this, as a result of the Givonim refusing to give forgiveness, to, to grant forgiveness to David HaMelech, then David HaMelech decreed that they should not ever be able to convert and to become Jews because Jewish people are known to be merciful. Like one of the traits, there's like a certain list of like kind of criteria or a test, litmus test to see, is this person really Jewish or not? If somebody declares that they're Jewish. And one of those things is if a person is merciful. So the fact that they displayed such a lack of mercy that they were not willing to forgive, the, um, then David and Malach decreed that they, they should never be accepted into the Jewish people, like they could not convert to the Jewish people. And the altar says that we learn about this in Yavamos, in the Gemara Yavamos, at the end of chapter eight on page 78. And so all of these things, again, we're talking about this in terms of humans, of humanity. So all the more so when it comes to God, all, like when we know that people are supposed to forgive, this is the proper thing to do, but people unfortunately are imperfect and they don't always forgive, but God is perfect. So when it comes to God, the forgiveness is immediate and it's definitely gonna be there for certain of it. We, we don't have any doubts. So that's the end of the section. So just to kind of bring it all together, back to our discussion of clowns and all that, that there, that the reason why people are scared of clowns, there is something to it because it's like what kids are picking up on is the fact that there's these two opposing emotions that seem very contradictory. But today we learned about in more detail 
how indeed these emotions are very contradictory and they do actually exist within a person because we have two souls so it is it is a contradiction it's like on the one hand a person when a person begins the chuva process then they feel this feeling of deep bitterness and contrite and sadness and all of that like regret and remorse all these things and those feelings that's what's considered chuva tata that's the lower level of chuva those feelings are coming in or are being manifest within the animal soul the animal soul has this like raw recognition of itself versus on the other hand once we reach this higher type of chuba when it's about more cleaving to god this is all emotions felt by the godly soul this is like where the godly soul comes in and feel these feels these feelings of great joy and then we took this even further and we went back to even that feeling of that contriteness that lowliness within that place it's like we don't want to get too down or we don't have to get too down because we see the light at the end of the tunnel and we see that really truly while yes we have sinned and yes we brought ourselves down into this low place god will with assurance forgive us when we do chuva when we ask for forgiveness from him a hundred percent god's going to forgive us and not only that he will actually redeem us if we continue to act in the appropriate way so that's the end of the section today and we're going to continue tomorrow and i'll speak to you then thanks for listening to the it is top podcast hosted by sarit switzer this podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.